0: Hello, and welcome to Jeff Pasito Reads. I'm Jeff Pasito, and this is today's story. And the wars went on without him. Chapter 2. Prisoners of War When Carlo was taken through a half-feverish haze, he saw his captors step on Bruno's body. Their dark boots trampled him, mashing his lifeless face into the muck as they ushered what was left of his troop out of the trenches and onto the scorched field above. Within a week, Carlo found himself waking up on hard, dark earth behind a barbed wire wall. His new home in western Kenya wasn't even built when he arrived, and it was up to him and the other broken men to construct their own prison. Made of a metal roof and wooden walls, their cell was a rectangle 12 feet by 20 and about 5 paces away from the next virtually identical structure. The fence surrounding the perimeter was chain-link covered in chicken wire and interwoven with barbed wire. He couldn't tell how deep the support poles had been driven into the hard-packed soil that spread as far as he could see around the camp, but he knew manpower alone couldn't budge them. Not to mention the armed guards that stood sentry day and night at the perimeter wouldn't look too kindly on anyone trying to dislodge the posts. Accommodations aside, he found the air had a hot freshness to it that smelled of humid vegetation, But beneath that familiar odor was still the lingering scent of war. That putrid stench was in Carlo's skin now, permeating his flesh. No matter how hard he tried, he felt for the rest of his life he'd never be able to wash the stench of all that death from himself. Carlo's barracks were the first of twenty-four along the road that led to the center of the base. Him and his mishmash constabulary of Germans and English defectors were the first to see anyone arrive, and he was one of the first things the new arrivals saw, aside from the three stone archways announcing the camp. Of course, his time spent about the 12-foot by 20-foot building was heavily mitigated by the near-constant marching they were led on throughout the camp. For more than six hours a day, they were paraded from one end to the other around the dusty field and back to their makeshift home, only to be dragged nearly right back out on the same trek 12 hours later. Understaffed and overworked, it was the most efficient way for the smattering of armed guards to keep everyone in line. It kept prisoners occupied, in order, and most importantly, tired. The dirt road they trotted constantly in front of their abode seemed to stretch nearly as far as the eye could see. Nothing but dry, dead land spread to the sparse, squat tree line that stretched to the south and east, underscoring the slight incline of a mountain range that broke the flat horizon. To the north laid a smattering of dead trees that mirrored the eight-foot posts that cordoned off incarceration from freedom. Despite his proximity to the other twenty-three buildings, Carlo couldn't tell you with any confidence how many other prisoners of war were interned with him, save the other seventy or so in his immediate proximity. Their constant occupation kept them too busy to know or care who else was there. Only the incessant moaning, groaning, and crying that permeated the still night air intimated at the sheer volume of interned soldiers. The brief moments of respite were punctured by an overweight German man who, whenever it suited him, which turned out to be most often in the quietest moments, would blurt out something or other in German and shake like a recoiling machine gun. Schweinenficker, hören wer werden Sie minder werteschlatten? schlatten, heilem der, der lassen He'd holler at no one, face ballooning into a red sphere and then fall on the floor and sob, his bulky form gyrating like a lump of pig fat. Carlo did his best to try and ignore him, but shrinking his limited human interactions by one more would nearly drive him to a life of solidarity. Time dragged on, and the German man grew weak. He kept his burly bulk, but his flesh tightened considerably, and the pockets of his mass seemed to hang from his bones like poorly filled sacks of grain from a farmhand's yoke. His thick bones began to press against his flesh, his ribs pressing out from his distended stomach when he'd wheeze in deeply. And yet he still refused to eat most of the proffered foods. They weren't inedible, overly spiced watery bean broth that passed for soup, and hard stale bread mostly, but it was just enough to get you out of bed in the morning and move your bowels twice a week. When Carlo awoke one morning to find the German man gone, he bowed his head and said a little prayer. He didn't know him he couldn't understand him but a life lost was a life lost and so he wished him peaceful rest in the hereafter making their circuit of the premises once again on an unremarkable day with the african sun hanging high overhead carlo caught a glimpse of something familiar something that reminded him of his life outside this wire and wood desert camp something from back home He had made his way along with an entourage of other men as close to the fence lining the main road outside their encampment would allow them to await the arrival of a new flock of prisoners. It wasn't much, but as entertainment ran thin, it was something to break the monotony of the daily ritual. As the smudge of shadow in the distance focused, Carlo could see it was another group of German soldiers being marched towards their new accommodations. As the men passed, floating on a cloud of dust, the corner of Carlo's eye caught a slightly elongated nose that he remembered, and a pair of sunken eyes for a split second before the man hobbled past. But he was as sure of it as he was that tomorrow wouldn't rain and the day's ration would be paltry. It was Vittorio. Vittorio, the whisper of his name, foreign after so long, slipped past his lips in a question. Vittorio, he tried to stammer out with more authority, but his voice caught in his throat as he spoke really spoke for the first time in what felt like ages. His feet started shuffling against the beaten sand, kicking up small plumes of dust on this side of the fence as he tried to push through the crowd of detainees. Stumbling into the wall of men, he caught himself and quickly craned his neck to see if he could find his old friend, but the sea of curly black hair pocked with taller blonde crests blurred into one mass of people. For the next several weeks, Carlo tried all he could to get a message halfway across camp. Unfortunately, the armed guards only yelled for him to get away from the fence. Pressing his luck, Carlo called at anyone passing by the barbed wire enclosure. Whether they were German, Italian, English, another prisoner, or even a soldier, he would call out to them. Prega di di inviare questo messaggio a a, a qualcuno chi, chi chiamo Vittorio? he said to anyone who glanced his way, gesturing wildly with all four fingers in an open palm down the roadway towards the other internment camps. I-io-io, he repeated, tapping his chest to signify it was himself he spoke about. Io, Carlo, sono il suo amico da-da-da-da-casino. Io sono... Carlo's hand shook slightly with anticipation, every fiber of his being willing a tall skinny man who happened to look his way to understand him. He never thought he'd see Vittorio again, especially not here in Africa. For three weeks, Carlo persisted with his crusade, miming his intentions to anyone who would look his way. His whole life, it seemed, had been a constant fight, a constant struggle. Growing up through a childhood of destruction and loss from one war, it felt like mere moments to his next struggle, this time of passion to marry a pregnant woman four years his senior. Carlo was tired of struggling, he thought, and after one last try... He gave up his plight and closed himself off from the others. Shuffling through each day with the rest of the cattle in their zombified state, he would grunt or barely nod in acknowledgement from then on. One afternoon, after they had finished their march and were retired to their quarters, one of the guards came by to rouse them. He had them all in line, shuffling out of the door, marching yet again, but this time perpendicular to their usual circuit. They were heading clear across camp towards the officers' keep. Eyes wide, Carlo gazed around at the other faces, most solemn, a few stunned. Shouldering Serafino, another Italian who had been added to their group not too long after the pudgy German had died, Carlo grunted and jutted his chin towards the direction they were traveling. With the thumb and forefinger of his right hand, he made a twisting motion, asking what was going on. Loro non voglio che diventiamo finocchio, Serafino told him as they walked. Carlo's eyes squinted as he tried to process this. He couldn't figure out what them marching towards the officers' barracks had to do with that. When they got across the field, they were directed towards a small building tucked in behind the officers' quarters. It was a squat building made of corrugated tin panels with a roof that sloped towards the back. There was a single door right in the middle of it, flanked by officers on either side. The prisoners were lined up one behind another and ushered in one at a time. One would go in, and about 10 minutes later, they would come out. As Carlo got closer to the front of the line, he could see the men leaving, each with a cock-eyed, bewildered look on their face. Serafino nodded at the guards as he passed by them through the doorway, the guards tilting their heads ever so slightly in acknowledgement. About ten minutes later, Serafino strode out, running his fingers through his slightly matted hair, his damp, dark locks shimmering in the late afternoon sun. Carlo turned his attention to the door ahead, the threshold into an unknown world and stepped forward, his eyes darting slightly between the flanking guards, and mid-stride over the doorstep, the one to his right barked at him. Hey, you be gentle now. I know how your kind can get on, and there's lots more guys gotta get through here. He lifted his rifle sideways towards the line of prisoners still more than twenty men deep. Carlo nodded, not understanding a single word, and snapped out a curt thank you in the only broken English he knew and continued into the dimly lit building. It appeared pitch black inside and smelled like sweat, sweat and dirt, with a stinging current of vanilla and mint. Such an odd aroma, so out of place in this area, wafting through his olfactory senses like a poorly obfuscating mask. There was something else he couldn't quite place, another scent that was familiar but distant. As his eyes adjusted to the sudden drop in light, Carlo could make out a sparse room with a single small wooden dresser on one side and a tired-looking wardrobe beside it with one door slightly ajar. A single incandescent bulb hung from the low ceiling, suspended only by its power wires, casting muted shadows about the room that appeared to dance with the slight sway of the bulb. As he scanned the room, his eyes stopped on a single steel-frame cot. Seated near the foot of it was a woman, clothed in a plain cotton off-white robe, She smiled at him and patted the empty spot on the bed beside her, but broke eye contact as she did, focusing through Carlo, losing herself in a stare that seemed to take her miles away from this place. He followed the gaze of her unfocused eyes as best he could before regaining his composure and shuffling towards the bed. Two strides from her, she refocused her eyes on his, tracking him like a wary prey follows the path of its predator. Two steps later, he stood before her eyes fixed as an owl, while his head moved back and forth between her and the empty spot in the bed where a slight double divot depressed the thin mattress, left as a memento of her last patron. She stared up at him, lips pursed, as Carlos stood there, unwavering. If that's how you want it, suit yourself then, she murmured and stood up, slipping the robe from her shoulders as she did with a quick shrug and sliding her arms over Carlos' broad but weakened shoulders. She pressed her body into his, firm breasts pressing at his chest, hips gently flexing at his upper thigh, cantering back and forth. Her long, thin face nestled into the crook of his neck and thin, spindly arms draped over him. Arms that could never work a field, he pondered, or prepare a hearty meal. As he shakily inhaled deeply, he found that other scent he couldn't quite place when he entered the room. It was the scent of carnations, just like he wore on his lapel at his wedding. Thank you for listening to the second chapter in "And the Wars Went On Without Him." Please join us next week for the third and final chapter, "Home and Away." If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can reach me by email at jeff@pacito.com. That's J-E-F-F at P-A-C-I-T-T-O com. On Twitter at jpacitoreads, or visit our website at pacito.com. See you soon.